Hey, I'm really excited about teaching this lesson today because it's, uh, this message today because it's a continuation of last week. Scott has already said, did an incredible job talking about hunger. I need you to lean into this message because this is a very critical message. It's a key point, uh, kind of a linchpin to the Beatitudes. And so uh, you need to really lean in and grab a hold of this and, and walk out of here understanding uh, very specifically when, God's, when Jesus says, uh, God, Jesus says, hungering and thirst for righteousness. Uh, as we've been talking about this and preparing for this message, Pastor CJ has said, I hate this series. <laughs> and it's like we're three or four weeks into it, and he's like, I hate it. And the reason why he says that, he doesn't hate it, but it's very challenging. And I hope it's been challenging for you. And here's the issue. This is why it should be challenging, is because this, this, this message, this teaching that Jesus is giving us is saying the people of my kingdom are going to look like this. And oh, by the way, that's vastly different than the, king, the culture we live in today, the dominant culture, if, if I, we could word it that way. The culture out here in which the Apostle Paul says, don't conform to this culture. Don't conform to the culture around you, but yet be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so when we look at the, at the Sermon on the Mount, when we look at the Beatitudes, we see that. And we see that when we read it, it's very challenging because it literally goes against the culture we live in. How many of you say, I get spanking giddy about wanting to be meek? Not many of us, right? It's hard. It's difficult, Right? We live in a culture that says, you've got to go after what you want. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and you're going to get chewed up if you don't go after what you want. That's the society in which we're pressed against. Jesus says it vastly different. You want to be fulfilled? You want to be blessed? You're going to be meek. My people are going to be meek. And that doesn't mean weak. It's literally to have power All that power under control. And so, you know, and the rest of the Beatitudes, again, just talks about this up-ended, top, you know, bottom-up, inside-out type of living that just contradicts what we live in, and kind of the natural way that we're we're, uh, disposed of in a sense. But today, I want to look at that that Beatitude once again found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, and it says this, Blessed are those who thirst who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Uh, Scott talked about that concept of hungering. Why don't we hunger after these things? And and, and the conviction that he has been having within his life of of all these things that he hungers for, these things that he gets passionate about, why isn't he passionate about being hunger and thirsting for righteousness? In Ecclesiastes, we read about this from from Solomon, and he writes this in chapter 3, verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he put eternity in a man's mind. Guys, this is very key. If we can begin to come, if we begin, if we can lock into this and begin to understand, we we start understanding a lot of things and how we think and, and, and things that we long for. He says God has made everything beautiful in its time, and He also put eternity in a man's mind. That's very key. God put eternity in a man's mind. Why? So that he cannot find man, not God. Man cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Essentially, it's this. The reason why you hunger and thirst for things, the reason why you long for things, is because God placed that within our lives. God placed that within your life, this restlessness and longing. 
God, that's natural. That is God created. That's in our nature. That God placed this sense of restlessness and longing within our lives because what he's wanting to point out is this. The only way we're going to be filled, the only way we're going to find rest, the only way we're going to be satisfied in that sense of longing is through him. He put eternity within our lives so that we would search hard after Him. So that we would long after Him. So that we would know that only through Him can we be fulfilled. Here's the problem. I'm going to define insanity for you. Insanity is when we keep going back to the same vices, looking for that sense of rest and longing. You know what I'm saying? Some of us go back for stuff and, you know, we go back to alcohol, we go back to drugs, we go back to uh, sexual affairs, we go back to this old way of doing things because we're searching, we're restless, we're longing, and we keep thinking that if we serve and bow down to those idols, that it's going to fulfill what we're searching for. The searching part, the longing part is natural. Where we focus our attention a lot of times in search is completely wrong. And that's why we come up empty. That's why for some of us, we're sitting in here this morning and our souls are a wreck. Our souls are a wreck because we keep searching and searching and searching. For some of us, we have relationships, we have friends that stand on the outside and they look at our lives and they're like, how can you go back to the same destructive thing over and over and over and over again in your life. It creates such destruction within your life. Why do you keep going back to that? Because we're restless and we're longing and we're searching in the wrong places. Listen to what Isaiah said in chapter 55, verses 2 through 3. He says, why spend your money on food? This is, this is um, God speak. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why do you pay for food? that does you no good. Listen to me, and you will eat what is good, and you will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen, and you will find life. That's what we're all searching for. We're all searching for fullness. We're all searching for contentment. We're all searching for purpose. We're all searching to have a life that has significance and meaning to it. And Isaiah, God through the prophet Isaiah is saying, why do you keep buying food that's not going to satisfy it? Why do you keep going back to alcohol? Why do you keep going back to drugs? Why do you keep going back to sex? Why do you keep going back to this other behavior over here that's reaping destruction within your life? Why do you keep doing that? And Jesus is saying, God's saying through this, come to me. Come to me because that restlessness, that appetite, that thirst you have, I placed it there so that it could be quenched only by me. Listen to what Jeremiah says. God says through the prophet of Jeremiah, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can't hold no water. That's exactly, again, that's exactly what we do, isn't it? We keep going back to the idols. Whatever it may be. It could be relationships. It could be horrific sins. It may be something as, as simple as, as relationships. It, whatever it is, when we look to something that only God can, can fulfill, we keep coming up empty. And I'm sorry, guys, that's how I define insanity. We keep going back to the same thing looking for different results. There's a word for that that we don't like to say, and it's called stupid. It's called stupid, stupidity, and all that, right? Oh, don't use that word. That's so mean. Maybe people love you. 
Maybe there's people that look at your life and they love you and they say they don't want you to keep going back to that. How many of us have kids where we look to them and we're like, How do you, why do you keep doing that? We love them. We don't want to see them going back. Maybe we need to listen. Maybe we need to hear from other individuals and let people lean into our lives and let people journey with us. Uh, um, Scott talked about that last week. Remember that he was saying he was praying about something, about God taking something away, and God came to him and said, Scott, I, can, I will do that. I've got the power to do that, and I will do that, but the only way I want to do it is through community. I, it's through community. It means you're going, to, you're going to commune with people, my people, your brothers and sisters in this family. You're going to walk together, and that's where the healing is going to take place. For some of us, we're sitting in here, we're, we're digging in places there are no water, and it's time that we, we allow people to come along beside of us so that we can have that sense of, of, of fulfillment from our hunger and thirst that we've been looking for. But here's the thing. St. Augustine said it this way, Thou madest, thou madest us for thyself, and our heart is restless until we rest in thee. And so we, we look to these different things, and we keep coming up empty. C.S. Lewis said, says this, and I love the way he says it. He said, If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We were made for another world. Kate, I mean, we were made for another world, but yet we look to this world to satisfy things that there's no way they can ever satisfy. Now, I want to share with you part two of this message because when it talks about hungering and thirsting, um, there's a delineation that we're going to make today, and some of you may kind of balk at it and say, I don't understand how you can do that. But I want you to lean in and listen to it because I think we have a, case, I think we have a good case to build on this. Jesus has something to say about this longing, and he says that this, this universal experience of inconsolable longing... He, he, he talks about this ins, insatiable human heart and about the restlessness, and he's saying it can be satisfied by uh, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So I want to meditate on a couple things here with you this morning. I want us to do it together. I want us to think about it. When he talks about this righteousness, okay? Now, he doesn't say, now, again, uh, you, this is where you got to lean in. Don't lean in and check out and daze off on me, okay? Lean in with me. He doesn't say hunger and thirst for God, Right? He says, hungering and thirst for righteousness. Okay. Now, I struggle with that because I'm thinking, okay, if we hunger and thirst for God, won't righteousness be there? Yes, but there's another passage here that we're going to look at that I think kind of blows that out of the water. So just follow along with me. So therefore then, if he's saying hunger and thirst for righteousness because, uh, and what's it say? Look in your program real quick. Flip it open to the middle. It's got the um, Beatitudes listed there from the message. Listen to what he says in ours. He says in verse 6, you're blessed, and that's at Makurii, okay? You're blessed, meaning you're fulfilled, meaning you're living life to the fullest. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. In the NIV, uh, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for, well, that's the next one. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You're going to be filled. Okay, so what is this righteousness? What is this righteousness that he talks about? 
Well, a couple of weeks ago, we, t- we looked at Psalm 37. And Psalm 37, it's as if Jesus took that and just read it verbatim when he, talks about this, when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And in Psalm 37, we talk about longing for God, being still and being quiet for God, you know, allowing God to satisfy us. And he said the reason, again, the reason that Jesus seemed to be quoting this psalm so much is that that word, um, in verb, it's like verbatim in Matthew 5.5. 5. And besides, that word meekness does not occur again in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, listen, when we look at righteousness, when Jesus talks about righteousness, it's only we don't find that that word righteousness, the way it's used here in this passage of Scripture, we don't find it in the Old Testament whatsoever. We don't find it again throughout the New Testament except for in this context. This, this beatitude, if we could call, occurs five times in the Sermon on the Mount, from chapters 5 through 7, it, this word righteousness is used five times, nowhere else. It's used five times in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus' meaning in this sermon is, the, is, the, um, is to look at other, these other instances as he uses this word righteousness. For another instance where he uses the word righteousness is that when we become righteous, we're going to be persecuted, Okay? Now, later on in the message, in, in verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for this righteousness that we're hungering and thirsting for. But when we look at the structure of the Beatitudes, what we see is between this verse, our verse we read today, verse 10, in the latter part of the, of the, of the um, Beatitudes, it's like a sandwich of being hungering and thirsting for this righteousness and being persecuted for this righteousness. And in between, when you look at the structure of the Beatitudes, what you see is when you hunger for God's, when you hunger and thirst for God's righteousness, what it does, you become an individual that's what? Meek? Full of mercy? You're all about keeping peace? Making peace, not just keeping peace, but making peace. All these things. It describes this person that, that, that as, they're being, as they're hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness, when you go into the culture that's dominant, you're going to be persecuted. Because you're meek. You're all about meekness. You're all about being merciful. You're, about, you're the antithesis of the culture you go into, and that's what's going to cause persecution. And so when he uses this word righteousness, it takes on this completely uh, different meaning that we're going to be criticized about. These are not characteristics of overflowing fullness, but what it is, these are blessings upon who, uh, those who recognize their emptiness. We recognize we're poor in spirit, we're, we're, we grieve over things, uh, we don't try to defend, justify or defend, our, defend ourselves. And Jesus makes this transi- transition from the, the emptiness part to fullness by saying that hunger and thirst for righteousness is also blessed. And then we see this whole concept of fullness and persecution. So as we look at this, we see this structure of the, four, the first four Beatitudes, uh, broken, grieving, the quiet person, the one who hungers and thirsts, to the next four Beatitudes that talks about being merciful and pure in spirit. Does that, does that make sense? When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we become people that are filled full of mercy. We're filled full of the things of God. Now, as we continue to look at this passage, we continue to look at this word righteousness, listen to what he says in verse 20. Jesus says, I tell you, unless your, and there's that word again, righteousness, exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you find that disturbing? 
He says, unless your righteousness exceeds these guys over here, you're never going to see the kingdom of heaven. Well, these guys over here, the Pharisees described, what were they all about? Man, they were the masters of the system, were they not? They were the masters of the law. They had the, the scrolls. They had the teachings of those times and they, the law and all of that stuff. And they were the masters of this. And Jesus said, mm, it's far more than that. And if your righteousness does not exceed that, you're never going to see the kingdom of heaven. And then throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about what it looks like when your righteousness exceeds this. You've heard it. Don't kill. But I tell you, if you get angry, it's the same. You've heard not to commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look at another person with lustful eyes, you've already done it. Now, my human reaction to that teaching is like, holy cow. (laughs) He has just elevated the level of righteousness. He defined it. Unless your righteousness exceeds this, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was saying this is more than cognitively knowing. This is more than some aspirational value of knowing something. This is taking it and literally literally allowing it to transform who you are. Because you are my people. Guys, one other thing I want to say about this. And, and we've said this all along, but I want to, I want to get back to this. What Jesus is talking about is, is not some ultra-Christian. He's not talking about some ultra-disciple. He's not talking about some radical. He's not talking about someone that's more devoted to the teaching of Jesus than someone else. He's talking about people that say they have a relationship with Him. He's talking about you and I. If we say that we have a relationship with Him through salvation, he, this message is talking to us, and He's saying your righteousness, the righteousness that you're going to hunger for, is going to supersede this stuff over here. It's literally going to, it's literally going to transform who you are because the people of my kingdom look vastly different that's tough stuff but guys if we can understand and clue in what that means and we can understand what it means to hunger and thirst for that type of righteousness you see that's where I think you can make the compelling argument that you could say and again I'm making a delineation here I'm not splitting hairs I'm simply saying I think you can make an argument that says there are people that may Hunger and thirst for God, but not for His righteousness. Can I expound on that? Why is it then, if there's not a difference, why is it then you have some Christians that are not merciful? Why is it that you have some people that call themselves children of God and they are some of the most backbiting people you've ever met? How, How do you justify that? How do you say, you know what I mean? How do you say that, I, I tell you, I think there are some people that, that they're not connecting and it's like, because that is such, you know, seeking that level of righteousness is extremely hard. I get that. But it takes, it takes those first four beatitudes that says we're going to be meek individuals. We're going to understand our humility. We're going to understand who we are and we're going to understand that we don't measure up in God's eyes and the only way we do that is by coming to Him in complete contriteness to the cross saying, God, I'm absolutely not 
nothing. And we mourn over that because we know that we're nothing. We see who we are. We see the wretchedness of ourselves. We see where we've come from. We see where we struggle. And we bow down and we say, God, I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve your grace whatsoever. But we live in this sense of surrender and contriteness and humility that we allow God to fill us and we allow Him, and then we begin to seek and, and thirst and hunger for His righteousness. Does that make sense? Let me share another passage of Scripture with you that for the longest time in my life, and still does, it totally just boggles my mind and it's hard for me to get my mind around it. It's found in this in the Sermon on the Mount and he talks to these people and you've probably read this before, but he talks about he talks to these people about this this um kind of what it looks like. In Matthew chapter 7 verses 22 through 23, you've probably read this before, but he says this, on the end day. On the end day, People are going to come to me, and what are they going to say? They're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not do all these things? Did we not do mighty works in your name? And then, and this is where it's so challenging to me. I mean, this is so challenging to me. He says this, and then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. Can I read that again to you? talking about child molesters we're not talking about murders and all this other stuff we're talking about people who prophesied in jesus name we're talking about people who cast out demons in jesus name we're talking about people who did mighty works in jesus name and he's going to look at them and say i don't know who you are guys that is one of the most challenging passages of scripture that i've come across in a long time that still challenges me to the point where I sit there and I think about it. Is my life any different? Am I going to stand before Jesus one of these days and He's going to say, I don't know who you were. I don't know who you are. Well, Jesus, let me refresh your memory, okay? I, you know, I was a pastor at a church called Element. We had a really cool name and had a number in it, you know? And I know, I know that no one in our church understood what that number meant, but, you know, and if you don't, let me just remind you, Jesus, of what that number meant. It counter express engage. It communicated our vision and our mission and things like that. And, and Jesus, I preached in your name. I preached messages in your name. I tried to walk with people. I tried to teach people. I tried to, I tried to help coach people. I tried to be with people. I loved the people that you had there. Jesus, these are the things that we did. We were a multi-site ministry. This is what I committed my life to. I, I don't know who you are. Okay, wait a minute, Jesus. Let me get back to this then. I was born in a, my mom and dad, my dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. You know, I, you know, I don't know who you are. I think about that. And it drives me to my knees. Because he answers that question. He says, the people who do the will of my father are the ones I know. So let me ask you a question. Do you think that they're going, when you hear his words, am I taking that out of context? Am I reading something in there that's not? Because I'm telling you, when I read that passage of scripture, I think there's going to be a lot of people that's going to stand there and they're going to be shocked. And I pray to God I'm not one of them. Because we start listing all of our achievements and all the things that we did, all the God things that we did. And he says, I don't know you. Could it be that because this is found in the Sermon on the Mount, that when you look at the bigger picture of this, the bigger context, where it's located and all this, that he's saying, you didn't hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
You may have hungered for God and the God things, but you never hungered and thirsted for righteousness. You're going to be full of mercy. You're going to be peacemakers. You're not going to advance your own agenda. You're going to, you're going to all be all about God. I think, you know, when you look at that, it's, I think it's so disturbing. You have to, like, spend a few moments thinking about it, saying, am I truly hungry and thirsting for that? And I think as you look at the writings of Paul and the teachings of Paul throughout the New Testament, I think, it's, I think you see a person, I think you get a glimpse, I think you get a clear glimpse of what someone looks like that's sold out. Jesus said in Luke, he said, he said, unless you sell everything out to me and commit everything to me, you can't be one of mine. Wait a minute, Jesus, don't you mean that, that that means someone that's ultra super Christian or someone that's devoting their life to you in service or something else, that really doesn't pertain to me? Jesus is saying it's all or nothing. It's not a game. It's all or nothing. Are you hungering and thirsting for me? Are you hungering, hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Because when you do that, your life is literally going to be transformed from the inside out. It's no longer about my agenda. It's no longer about the things that I want, my desires, my passions. It's about er, allowing Jesus to live in and through me. And when we hunger and thirst for the things of Jesus, for His righteousness, that's when we're going to be satisfied. That's when everything comes back together and we become blessed. We become that sense of Macquarie. We become a person that's living life to the fullest. Now, can I just put the huge, big blanket disclaimer on it and say this? This is going to be the hardest thing that you've ever tried to do. It's, I mean, isn't that kind of like a duh statement? I mean, when you talk about these things, when you look at this and he's saying your, your righteousness has to supersede this over here, you've heard that if you did this, it's one thing, but I'm telling you, if you even think it, it's, it's, it's something else and all this. I mean, you look at that and you're like, this is a life that is almost unobtainable. And I'm telling you right now that I think it's something that's going to be the hardest thing we've ever been called to do, but that's what Jesus is calling us to be and do. To be that type of person. To be consumed by Him. And we're not going to be able to accomplish that on our own, but only through the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it comes back again to the humbleness and contriteness where we say, God, this, you, my life is yours. I'm all in. All of my chips, I'm shoving in. It's all about you. I will be your arms. I will be your feet. When you say go, I'll go. When you say do, I'll do. Whatever you say, I'm going to do that. Now, I get there's going to be times as humans we're going to struggle with that. I think that is the, 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 the issue of that. You know, when Paul talks about the flesh and, the, and, the, and the, you know, the God's spirit, that, I think that's the struggle. That's the tension. And we live right smack in the middle of that because God has placed eternity within our lives only to point that we don't belong here, that we're part of another world. And the only thing that's going to satisfy that restlessness and longing is to hunger and thirst for His righteousness. And we're in this together. You and I are in this together. We're living in this together. We need each other. We need the body together to come along and to be there with one another, to encourage each one another and to spur each other on, one, each other along. So as the worship team comes back, we're going to close with one last song. And I would just ask that you would take this time and use it as, as, as a prayerful moment. The only way that we can ever accomplish any of this 
is really, it's kind of interesting because it's not like we're accomplishing it, but it's, it comes through that surrender again to the Holy Spirit, to His Spirit. Jesus teaches us, he's, or let me back up, Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians, he says this, who knows the mind of someone better than the spirit of that person? And he goes on to teach, he says, when you look at the things of God to man, to the world, it looks like foolishness because they can't comprehend it. They don't have the mind to comprehend the spiritual things. They don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them to, to, to help them to understand, to give them wisdom and revelation. Jesus teaches us that God's Spirit is what reveals to us truth. He's the one that reveals to us these things. And so Jesus even says, and I find this very disturbing, if you, if you, never, if you can't hear from God, maybe you can't hear from God because you don't have His Spirit living inside of you. And so really, it all comes down to this. Are we living in that submission and contriteness and humbleness of the Holy Spirit? Allowing Him to convict, to encourage, to spur us on. And it's through Him that we become the person that Jesus has has created us to be so that we can live out of our God-created identity, which is when we find that fulfillment and significance and, and purpose. So I pray that as we close with this last song, would you open your hearts to God? Would you, you know, maybe, you know, open your hearts to God. I'm not, I mean, some of us, some of us are in bad spots this morning. We've, we've taken a couple steps forward and we've like slid back seven because of this because of this struggle. Some of us are in a bad spot. Some of us are in here and we're, you know, we're not doing too bad. And the Holy Spirit comes along and He encourages and those types of things. But, but we're all over the place. I mean, because we're human. And so this morning, could we use this last, this, these closing moments for a time where we just allow... God's sweet spirit to come in to our lives and just affirm or convict or encourage or whatever. Would you allow His Spirit to communicate with yours? That's putting yourself in a vulnerable position. But I'm telling you, you're going to find you're going to find fulfillment. You're going to find what you're looking for if you can place yourself in that vulnerable position and allow His Spirit to just do His ministry, whatever He chooses to do. And would you respond the way He wants you to respond? Maybe you need to come forward and just pray. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love, we got a couple elders in here that would come forward and pray with you as well and just encourage you. But wherever you find yourself, would you just respond to the Spirit of God this morning? Let me, let's stand together and let me just kind of close with a prayer and then we're going to engage in our last song. Father, I thank you that um, you don't just raise the bar and just say, go after it. You know, sorry about your luck. But Father, you, you put it out there. And you show us what to go after. And you, I know that you acknowledge how hard it is because you were human once as well. And you, you saw, you lived here among us and you saw the, the brokenness of our lives. But yet you went to the cross to provide us hope to give us power through your spirit to, to, to find what we're really searching for, and that's you. And so, Father, I just pray that you would communicate with us right now, that your spirit would just have freedom in this room right now as we close. And, you know, for some, it's going to be a, a time of, of celebration and, and just kind of, you know, praying out for others, having a burden and praying out for others. For some of us in here this morning, we're, we're hurting, we're struggling. 
we're feeling desperate. And I pray that instead of moving away from you, that we would move toward you. Just use this, these last few moments to, uh, to just draw us and encourage us. And I pray that you would help us to respond. Give us the courage to respond the way you would have us to respond. And it's in the power of Jesus that we pray all these things. Amen.